From the Islamic Institute of Toronto, you're listening to the Double IT Podcast Hour. Assalamu alaikum. My name is Mamoun Hassan and I am your host today. So the leadership within mosques has always been a contentious issue in North America, specifically when it comes to women's involvement. The Islamic Society of North America has elected a board with 50% women, a woman president and a woman vice president. This is certainly unique. So what happened? What was the barrier to women's entry into the board positions? What happened to the Islamic organizations as a result of more women in positions of leadership? I caught up with Dr. Kathy Bullock. She's the current president of ISNA Canada. Dr. Bullock, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Would you rather I, you, I call you Dr. Bullock or Kathy? Or... In our interview, we spoke about old times and how times have changed. I mean, I can remember a time at ISNA Canada, for example, when women were asking to pray itikaf and they were denied. Uh, and... Uh, we also spoke about her conversations with previous community organizers and women community pioneers. So I've done interviews with Muslim women activists who are older than me, and they will talk about those times when they wanted to get involved and they were asked to stick to the food preparation or uh, stuffing envelopes or like behind-the-scenes stuff, and the management was always male. And I'm aware of, in the sociological literature as well, that that's been a, a predominant tendency across all the mosque organisations in both the US and Canada. So before we get any deeper in this discussion, we have to recognise that this wasn't the trend only in mosques. One has to acknowledge that women's role was discounted in many social organisations in the West as well as in the East. Now, this actually, I think, parallels in the wider society. It's not just something that Muslim women have been looking at. So if you talk to older political activists uh, in, in countries like Canada and Australia in the 60s and 70s, even if they were involved in left-wing parties that had a notion of social justice, you will find those women telling you the same stories. We were asked to go and make the coffee. You know, but that's not why we were there. So there was a whole, there's been a whole like consciousness raising about what women at the table, board table actually means. And just as the wider society has moved in that direction, I think the Muslim community has been, been moving with it. The problem that we run into, however, that other organizations don't place this issue within their theological or ideological narrative. In Muslim organizations, there is an actual narrative that leadership of women is un-Islamic. There, there are traditional interpretations of certain Quranic verses which imply that men should be in authoritative leadership positions. So the one about uh, men are the protectors and maintainer of women and uh, th there's another one about having authority over you. Men have uh, a degree of authority, something like that. So we know traditionally how those verses were interpreted. They were interpreted to mean that men in all spheres of life should have authority over women in all spheres of life. And to the extent that traditional interpretations still exist in our community, then those are still traditional ideas. But I do know of even traditionally trained scholars who have been questioning that kind of interpretation. So I don't think we're a monolithic community on that topic anymore. I remember being involved with the Muslim Student Association at the University of Toronto and they had Sheikh Abdullah Hakim Quick come in. This is probably in the late 90s. And the question was, can a woman be a president of the MSA? 
and he gave a lecture saying, yes, it's perfectly fine for, you know, for a woman to be president of the MSA. And Would you rather I call you Dr. Abdullah or it's Sheikh Abdullah? Abdullah. Abdullah. Sheikh Abdullah. I'm Sheikh by age, by the way. Okay. Okay. So if you are a Muslim from Toronto, you recognize this voice. This is Sheikh Abdullah Idris of Isna. Unfortunately, in the Muslim literature, we have this debate of what level of leadership women can be in it. Uh, there is quite a number of scholars say the woman cannot be a leader of a state. And they say because of the nature of the women that there are certain things that she has to do in private with men. She has to be uh, for that. But under that, there was no discussion. And this is why even in the judiciary in some of the countries until today, a woman cannot be a judge and so on. But all of this now is based on some kind of interpretations, part of it of cultures and so on. Now, let me tell you, in Toronto here, for instance, right, um, since 1976, when I came here, uh, the mosques were just places of prayers. And actually, most of the mosques don't even have a place for women. And some of the mosques don't even allow women in. See, I come from the Sudan. I tell you this. Until very recently, there was no space. You don't see a single. Now, you'll be surprised there are more women than men in the Masajid than people allow for it. So there is no restriction per se. It's just that some people who were raised to do certain things, they understand certain things, and they object to it. And especially in Taraweeh, we know that. Even uh, when we have, not only Taraweeh, sometimes we have a lecture here, and then you have more sisters. We have to start pushing things to the, maybe halfway through the masjid. Um, but when we went there, you cannot stop people from coming to the mosque. Okay, so how did the sisters change the mosques? So I remember the story of the Prophet, peace be upon him, when he was uh, lecturing, and I think it was an Eid festival, and he walked through the men to talk to the women, and they asked him to teach them, and he appointed a special day for them. So there's the, this, this implies that women have different needs that they want to talk to a leader about, and so if the women can be at the table as leaders, then that helps bring in and makes the community more holistic. Women and men have different experiences and see things differently. I mean, just the same way men see different from each other and women see different from each other. I don't believe, you know, that there's... I don't believe in that, you know, you know, if you're a man, you think this way. If you're a woman, you think that way. Because I know that no matter who you are, you have differences. But, but nevertheless, there are still certain life experiences that can lend to different understandings and different interpretations, which... Uh, if you're going to really be a true Islamic community that has inclusion and justice for all members of the society, if you're going to promote the well-being of everyone, then you need to hear from the voices of everyone and get their perspectives. When you're building the mosque, the men not, might not think unless they've got a lot of women at home, they may not think about the women's space. What are we going to make it look like? Are we going to make it, you know, dirty and down in the basement and hard to get to with no lights and really, really tiny? Or are we, are we going to try to remember the example of the Prophet, peace be upon him, and have women in the main, in, on the main floor, in the main hall, good entry, not blocked? And I think that that's one of the things that women can bring to the table in terms of always remembering to bring in nice perspectives. So how we change the programming? Now you have to accommodate the sisters, 
right? So for you to accommodate the sisters, the needs for them are different from the needs for the males. And this is why all these programs reflect that need that we have for the sisters in the presence of the Messiah. Well, uh, so give me some examples, give me some stories. For instance, this uh, like family, uh, what we call functions, uh, potluck uh, dinners that we have here, mostly families, and most of them are sisters, matrimonial services, basically initiated by the sisters that we have. Sisters group, per se, their own lecture, their own seminars, their own needs for it. So they dictated a lot of things that people have to do. So what I've noticed in general is that the women are often the ones behind the children's programs, especially the smaller ones like preschool, um, but also pushing for uh, weekend school or they have a high demand for Quran lessons because often the woman is the one who's able to do the driving because the man might be at work. I'm, I'm talking about an extremely traditional gendered household here. I know that in Canada there are many, many both women and men who work full-time outside the home and they share those kinds of chores. But what I've sort of seen in terms of programming, you asked me about programming, women are often the ones who are spearheading the programming around children. always had a lot of support from men in, in, in my life ever since I was an undergrad so I, I want to make sure we don't do that and you will find traditional you will find women who support traditional positions so for example in the mosque in California we had an open space uh, with men at the front men, women at the back just like the sunnah and then we had women complaining they wanted a curtain it wasn't always coming from the men's side right so these issues are very complicated. They're not, you don't cut down on the line and say men this, women that. The other issue that becomes relevant is that attendance for prayer is compulsory upon a man and it's not compulsory upon a woman, especially for Juma, for example. I know a lot of women might get offended at me reminding us of that, but when we take, when we look at these kinds of issues we do have to remember that we are bound by the Quran and the Sunnah and we should try to follow principles of uh, of you know fiqh of Islamic law so if it's the case that men are obliged to attend the mosque and women aren't and I'm definitely in favor of women attending mosque I know there are some cultures where women are discouraged I am not from that but at the same time when you're thinking about architecture you have to make a space for, for those for whom it's compulsory. If, if, if you have a finite space, right? Also, there is a talk about the barrier. So as soon as you put up the curtain, if you don't feel that you belong to the gathering, you don't act as if you belong. So we used to have lectures too at this mosque and, and the women would sit quietly and listen and ask questions. And then as soon as the curtain went up, that's it. They weren't listening anymore, talking to each other. Uh, so that's, I mean, one of the biggest detriments in the mosque situation in Canada and the US where we aren't being socialised by our wider society into, into Islamic thinking. The mosque is, is one of the few places where that can happen. So if you go to the mosque and then you're excluded from the gathering, then you're going to be stunted in your Islamic sense of self. And th this is one reason why it's so important to make the mosques and open spaces for women and youth and seniors and um, people who are 
with disabilities, it has to be that kind of space. This has been a double IT podcast. My name is Mamun Hassan and Salaamu Alaikum.